This podcast brought to you by Hope 103.2. The Hope Book Club with Katrina Rowe and Natasha Moore. Because life's just better with a book. Welcome to The Hope Book Club with Katrina Rowe and Natasha Moore. Today we are breaking out the Bunsen burners and the test tubes for the science edition of The Hope Book Club. This is rather uncharted territory for me. The closest I've got to reading a real science book is The Rosie Project by Graeme Simsian. But Natasha has been reading some legit science-inspired books. She's delved into Lost and Wanted by Nell Freudenberger. Poetry and science come together in this novel about a renowned physicist who has to confront the supernatural. Randall Munro's What If gives compelling scientific answers to absurd questions, such as how many humans would a rampaging T-Rex need to eat per day to survive in New York City? And I've been reading Kat Colmer's Can't Beat the Chemistry, a young adult romance about a science nerd who falls in love with her unconventional tutoring student. Plus, we'll discuss the books that have taught us something we didn't know we wanted to learn. And if you'd like to join the conversation or share your thoughts about one of the books we discuss, we would love to hear from you. Email bookclub at hopemedia.com.au. But first, let's hear from Lost and Wanted by Nell Freudenberger. In the first few months after Charlie died, I began hearing from her much more frequently. This was even more surprising than it might have been, since Charlie wasn't a good correspondent even when she was alive. I should say right away that I don't believe in ghosts, although I've learned that 45% of Americans do, at least not in the sense of the glaucous beings who appear on staircases in abandoned farmyards or on the film or digital records of events that absolutely did not include, say, a brown dog in the lower left-hand corner or a man standing behind behind the altar in a black hood. Charlie died in Los Angeles on a Tuesday night in June. I was in Boston, and I didn't know. We hadn't spoken for over a year. People talk about a cold wind or a pain in the chest, but I didn't feel anything like that. On Wednesday at about noon, my phone rang, or rather, I happened to be looking through my bag for my wallet, and I saw that the screen was illuminated Charlie. I grabbed the phone and answered before I could think of any of the obvious things, such as, why pick up right away? Or, it's been more than a year. Or, what are you to her anymore? I heard shuffling, something lightweight falling to the floor. Empty boxes, maybe? I said her name again, and then I lost the call. I called her back, but no one picked up. I felt foolish, and unaccountably disappointed. I vowed that if she tried again, I wouldn't pick up. I would wait a few days before deciding whether I even wanted to call her back. That's Nell Freudenberger's Lost and Wanted. The main character is a renowned physicist and a professor at MIT. She doesn't believe in life after death or anything supernatural. So when she receives a phone call from a friend who has just died, it kind of rocks her world. It's a bit of a sweet story about lost friendships, grief and regrets. G'day, Natasha. Hi, how are you doing? Good. Now, I have heard that this book is deeply moving. Were you affected by it? Yes, it's actually lovely. Like it, the whole kind of, oh, a physics professor confronts life after death kind of, you know, supernatural, are they ghosts? Like that is sort of the tension in the novel that plays out um, across the story, but it's also not really the point. 
Mm-hmm. Like actually it's about her relationships, um, her friendship with her friend who's died, which has kind of, you know, um, faded away in recent years for various reasons and she's not quite sure why. Um, and so coming to terms with that sort of guilt and also getting to know her friend's husband and kid um, and, you know, her whole trying to juggle um, a scientific career as a woman, mm. um, as well as motherhood, um, single motherhood, and all those different storylines interact with each other in ways you wouldn't necessarily expect, and they all kind of feed each other and support each other. I thought it was really well done. Okay. Can you tell us a bit more about the personality of the main character, Helen Clapp? Yeah, she's very sciencey. Yeah. Um, but also, I'm trying to avoid the word relatable because I think it's a bad word. But, um, you know, I'm not at all sciencey. And actually, the author, Nell, is not. She was like, you know, when I started writing this, science is, you know, more foreign than the most foreign country I've ever visited. Okay, because like, that's me too. Um, yeah. So, and she kind of growing up was like, oh, I was kind of told that I didn't have the right kind of mind for science. And mm. um, so she hung out with a lot of physicists and did a lot of reading and stuff to kind of get into the mindset of this. And there is a lot of science in it. Um, but you kind of... That's mediated to us through the personality of Helen, um, the main character, uh, and you really get what it means for her to navigate what is kind of quite a male world um, mm. in her career. Uh, is it set now or yeah, it's back contemporary? In time. Okay, um, and it, and it just came out this year, so it's mm. a new book, and a lot of the science in it is kind of like new discovery stuff that has happened over the last few years. Mm, so she um, must have done a heap of research. Yes, yes, mm. and I think she ran it past a lot of people because when it's not your field, it's also just so easy to kind of you know say things that someone for whom this is their life would be like, oh, but she wouldn't say no that. No physicist would ever say yeah. that or would ever say it quite like that or, you know. Exactly. So I think, I mean, you know, I'm not really the best judge, but I was very convinced by it and I've been recommending it to science friends. Um, so, you know, wait for their verdicts as well. This idea that she gets this phone call from a friend who's died. I know this is maybe not the main point of the book, but it's very intriguing all the same. (laughs) Um, So do Helen's ideas about spirituality sort of change over the course of the book? Is is that part of the story? Uh, I mean, there's a number of things happening for her. It's not as though her friend calls her and she has a conversation with her friend. She gets a, a call from her. There's no one on the other end. She starts to receive these kind of texts, occasional texts and occasional emails where she's like this sort of seems like my friend Charlie but it sort of seems not like my friend Charlie and um you know her son Jack who's you know um like still quite little um Mm. and he who's making friends with you know her dead friend's um, daughter as well um is kind of exploring this idea of oh well I think I saw your friend I think she's alive you know and having conversations with the daughter that aren't necessarily helpful for anybody. And so she's sort of, I guess, navigating grief and motherhood Mm. and friendship um, in a way that, you know, even just the having this weird niggling, oh, these texts and what do I do with that is just kind of heightening all of that. Mm. So it's almost, it's not so much that it's like, oh, the supernatural, is it real? It's like, what does that make us realize about, you know, the living and 
how we relate to each other and mm. how we manage this thing called life. Well, yeah. it's a lot of people said it's very thought-provoking. Did you find it thought-provoking? One of the things that it does really well um, is – so it kind of links up these sciencey concepts with relational concepts um, in a way that, you know, could be a bit twee or a bit forced or a bit unscientific. And, you know, the author actually says that um, she felt a bit um, like self-conscious unsure about, about yeah. that at first, but then talking to physicists about it, you know, one of them was like, well, actually the way that we talk about this stuff is very metaphorical. Um, and so long as you, so long as your analogy is the right one, then that's fine. So, you know, she has the different sections of the book have titles. Um, the first one is entanglement. The second one is gravity. And the third one is uncertainty. Mm. And these are words that have certain meaning in, in the science physics. context. Yeah. Um, uh, and in, you know, the universe, uh, and then certain different but not totally unrelated meanings in relationships. And so it kind of weaves those things in together really well in a way that makes you go, oh, yeah, this stuff is really complicated and also weird and a bit unaccountable, you know, same with physics, same with life, mm. um, and that actually everything in life is sort of – a trade-off that you make these decisions and you don't really know how they're going to work out and that they have these ripple effects and these consequences that you can't control. And so it just does that really beautifully. And science kind of turns out to be a really good prism to do that through, I guess. Hmm. So viewing relationships through the prism of science. So did you actually learn about physics from reading this as well? I felt like I did when I was reading it, but then if afterwards you asked me to explain anything, there's yeah. no way I could. So so I felt like I was learning, but... Did yeah, it stay? No, maybe not. No. Not retained. So what captivated you about the story? Um, I think even though I'm in no way a scientist, I did kind of identify with Helen, um, her... I loved, I loved the way that she related to her work, Mm. Um, that she was so absorbed in it and so loved it um, and was succeeding in this field, this very male field, as a woman. Um, but, you know, even the satisfaction of, like, you know, she'd kind of um, made some groundbreaking discovery and become, like, a full professor at, you know, age 33 or something. Mm. Um, so even, like, the experience of coming to this realisation about the universe that no one else had ever come to. Um, I think even describing that work in terms of the feeling of it and um, that devotion, that kind of complete absorption in something that's outside of yourself, um, I really liked how that was told. You know, it wasn't, even though the science in it is kind of authentic and well-researched, it wasn't overdone. So even though I don't really know what she's talking about, I can identify with the experience of it and be like, oh, that sounds really great. Um, and then I think just her being brilliant at science didn't mean that she was brilliant at relationships. Um, and so she is easy to identify with in that way that she's kind of trying to figure out what she wants and, you know, making decisions and not knowing how they'll turn out and what's right and wrong and what's best for her and for her kid and for her friend's husband and their kid. And um, so I think, you know, that science helps and doesn't help us to do life. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Thanks, Natasha. You're welcome. Our next book is even more sciencey. It's Randall Munro's What If? Serious Scientific Answers 
to absurd hypothetical questions. As the subtitle suggests, this book gives scientific answers to absurd random questions like, what are the odds of meeting your one true soulmate? Or when will Facebook contain more profiles of dead people than living ones? So why did you pick this one up? Um, well, essentially, I wanted to read this partly because I was on a, you know, a journey, a trajectory away from my year 10 self that was like, I hate science, I'm quitting science, and towards someone who's like, you know, science can be pretty cool. I'm sort of interested in it, but I don't really get it. So, you know, if I read something about it, then it needs to be very entertaining or I'm not going to persevere. Yeah. So partly because I was on that trajectory um, and partly because the guy who wrote it, Randall Monroe, he... Um, is best known as the author of what I strongly believe to be the world's greatest web comic. It's called XKCD, um, and it's a comic like it's it's a science thing, but it's about you know philosophy and language and romance and as well as you know physics and computer science. So he like you know did a physics degree and used to work for NASA and um, eventually quit to kind of draw these cartoons full time because they were so popular. And so funny. Um, and so sort of – and one of the things he does alongside that is he's do this what-if blog where people send in these crazy questions and that's where the book comes from. So he – you know, the, the questions are ridiculous, but mm. the answers use actual science, science to figure out, well, what would happen if you, you know, could pitch a baseball at 90% of the speed of light? What would, what would then happen? And you're like, okay, well, that's impossible, but if, if it – if the premise were yeah. granted, then what happens? And, you know, in a lot of the answers to the questions, basically the earth explodes in a lot of a lot of the scenarios. <laughs> it's like the end of life as we know it. <laughs> but, um, but not all of them. <laughs> okay. So he used to work for NASA. He's literally a rocket scientist. Yeah, I guess so. Um, so do you need to be a rocket scientist or even just a regular scientist to understand what he's talking about in this book? I think the lovely thing about his writing is that, you know, physicists and, you know, other scientists love him because he's like the real deal and he knows what he's talking about and he does the research, you know, properly and he talks to scientists in fields that aren't his to figure stuff out and confirm it. Um, So if you're a scientist, it's not like you're like, oh, no, this is beneath me. Plebeian, yeah. But as a non-scientist, because he's very, very funny and he's very good at explaining things to non-scientists, you can actually access it and enjoy it anyway. And even the bits where I'm like, oh, I don't know what those couple of lines mean, but like I'm with him on the general idea, (laughs) you know, and that's enough. That's enough to get you through. Well, yeah, it sounds interesting. What did you really like about it? I liked – it's got plenty of his drawings in it. So, you know, okay. like he, he does the little cartoons throughout the book um, and they're always just very on point. Um, anyone who's familiar with his webcomics will, you know, love his style. I actually had one of his comics up like above my desk through the whole of my PhD, um, which was in English literature. And it was to kind of remind me that what I do – is sort of ridiculous and let's not take ourselves too seriously because this one was called Imposter and in it he's like, oh, my hobby is sitting down with grad students and figuring out how long it takes them to figure out that I'm not an expert in their field. And, you know, engineering, it goes through different ones. It's like engineering, it takes 49 seconds for them to figure out that he's not an engineer. Um, You know, he said something ridiculous. Sociology, it takes like four minutes. 
literary criticism eight papers and two books later and they still haven't <laughs> figured it out <laughs> so uh so his cartoons are always very kind of um you know quirky and fun um and then also i think it just makes you curious about the world that you're like oh there's so much to know yeah. um and there's so much joy to the way that he approaches it. You know, someone is like, oh, if you swam in a pool with um, spent nuclear rods at the bottom, would it kill you? And so then he goes through, like, all these things you need to figure out. Or even, like, someone asks if you could get everyone in the world to not interact with other people for two weeks, would that um, get rid of the common cold? Because if it can't jump oh, from person to person, would it die? Would out? It die? <gasps> yeah. What a great question. And he's like, well, here's all the different things that we need to think about in terms of that. So he's like, firstly, you know, what would that do to the world's GDP? And is there enough space in the world for people to be separate enough mm. that for everyone to so, – so, you know, there's kind of the practical logistics of that happening. And then there's the like, okay, well, would it – actually die out under those circumstances. Mm. And so what were some of your favourite um, quirky, absurd, hypothetical questions from the book? Do you want to pick a couple out? Um, I mean, one of the things that I really like about it is that <laughs> he's so serious about the outcome, right? Mm. Um, even though the whole thing is absurd and that's the point. Um, so he keeps, you know, being like, by the way, I'm a guy who draws pictures on the internet. Um, don't take nuclear safety tips from me. Don't try this at home. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not a I'm not a lightning expert. What I want is for things to catch on fire and explode. So, you know, I yeah. don't have your best interests at heart here. Um, but, you know, he's kind of, well, I'm going to take it seriously and follow it through. So there's one where someone asks, is it possible to build a jetpack using downward firing machine guns? And his answer is a bit like, Surprisingly, yes. yes. <laughs> but and, please don't do it. <laughs> yeah. If at this you would want to talk to the Russians, is what yes. he says. So, you know, and then he goes through. So just in everything, there's like a lot of humour, um, a lot of lightheartedness, but very serious about the actual science. Yeah. And I think that's quite a charming combination. Cool. Well, will it inspire my disinterested teen to get more interested in science? I think so. I think it would. Um you know, maybe start with the comics um, okay. or, I mean, so he's got a new book that's just come out this year called How To, which I haven't read yet, but it's got things like, and some of them he kind of acts out. So he has um, one bit called How to Catch a Drone where he got Serena Williams in real life to, he was like, well, you know, how could we attack a drone? And he's like considering different like sporting equipment and mm -hmm. how useful it would be in taking down, um, you know, a flying robot. Uh, and so he gets Serena Williams to go out to a court with a like drone and to like serve tennis balls at it until it crashes. <laughs> so, <laughs> as it, so he kind of has these real life experiments. Like these are, this is science, but fun. So I think, yes, your disinterested teen or your interested teen. We both <laughs> love this. Well, that sounds good. So now, Natasha, I want to know what is the book that taught you something that you didn't know you wanted to learn? <laughs> and not the two that we've just mentioned, obviously. No, no. I think for me, you know, this is almost at the opposite end to science. Mm. One of the books that this happened in for me was The Once and Future King by T.H. White, which a lot of people don't know that they know. 
I think it's the most wonderful novel. Um, it's written in the middle of the 20th century and it's about King Arthur and Guinevere and Lancelot and everybody. Um, lots of people do know the first book in the kind of, it's like a collection of four books, mm. is called The Sword and the Stone. Okay. And there's a Disney movie um, about, you know, King Arthur as a kid and Merlin and he turns yeah. him into these different animals and stuff. It's great. Um but the novel itself is amazing and it's very entertaining and quirky and it's also very dense. So it has all this stuff in it. I remember like even just in the first few chapters being like, I should be kind of bored by this, but I'm not because one of the things he does is he talks about like medieval warfare and particularly falconry. He goes on about falconry a lot and he doesn't explain any of it. He doesn't go, oh, well, here's what these words that I'm using that you've never heard before mean. Okay. He just kind of plows on and you're a bit like, Oh well, I'm with you. Okay. You're making this entertaining enough because later I've I have since read H's for Hawk by Helen oh, McDonald. I hated that. You book. hated that book. I could not get through that. I tried. <laughs> Is it because so it was hard. about training a falcon? Was oh, that problem? it was so dense and boring and I'm like your grief is not hawk, that interesting it's all about oh. her grieving her father I'm thinking well it's about her grieving her father but it's like about her training a hawk mm. and it's about T.H. White who wrote Once and Future King and his book The Goshawk and how he tried to check train a hawk um, and did it very badly. And it totally was all that stuff about the goshawk. She was so fascinated by it. And I'm like, this is so pretentious. <laughs> oh, there you go. Well, I felt differently. I learned a lot about hawks from T.H. White and from Helen McDonald. And I thought it was kind of cool. I feel bad saying it because she's a McDonald's. She's part of my clan. Ah, really oh, there you go. Be. So what about you? What have you learned well, about? Well, you know, a funny book popped into my head. And to be honest, it's not one I love. But I did learn a lot about global history. Uh, particularly in the 20th century, uh, it was the 100-year-old man who climbed out the window and disappeared um, by yeah. Jonas Jonasson. Mm -hmm. Have you read this book? I have, yes. Okay. So I kind of have a love-hate relationship with it because of the moral ambiguity of the book and of the protagonist, Alan Carlson. It, the book has a massively high body count in the first <laughs> couple of chapters. Basically, this guy climbs out the window of a nursing home um, he gets caught up with some drug dealers, but in the process of his adventures, you kind of get his backstory. Mm. And he, like, saved General Franco in the Spanish Civil War. <laughs> he helps make an atom bomb with Harry S. Truman. He ends up in Iran assisting a plan to assassinate Churchill. He spends time in a Russian gulag after friending Stalin, and he meets the fictional little brother of Albert Einstein. He spends time with Saharo in Indonesia. He has lunch with... Um, Charles de Gaulle and Lyndon <laughs> B. Johnson in Paris during uh, peace talks to end the Vietnam War, etc., etc. So yeah. basically, it's fictionalized, but you kind of learn a lot about the big events in global politics in the 20th century. But see, my question about that is if you don't already know the history quite well, mm. how do you distinguish between fact and fiction there? Well, you can. You but it's the so vibe. I probably mistaught you a bunch of stuff about 20th century history. Well, exactly. But the thing is, see, I read it years ago and now that's all faded into the back of my mind mm. and I can't really remember the detail, <laughs> but I sort of know the sequence of you events. Have a vibe yeah. about Charles de Gaulle. <laughs> okay, so I clearly learnt nothing. <laughs>
Well, I read it too and I don't remember learning any of those things. No, well, I, I suppose I think it was more that I didn't know much about the event, so I kind of had to look them up as I was reading. So oh, I felt well, like I was learning that's stuff. That's a bonus yeah. that you were actually going and learning. A bit. It made you curious. This is the idea, right? Yeah. That these books make us curious about things that we didn't even know to be curious about. Exactly, exactly. Another, um, you know, book that I think I learned a little bit, my pick was the YA novel Can't Beat the Chemistry by Kat Colmer. This is as close as I've come to reading a science book in the last 12 months. <laughs> and is this chemistry in a double Oh, yeah, sense? double. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, so it's been billed as like the Rosie Project for teens. So um, there's a bit of Pride and Prejudice thrown in there too, actually. But basically, MJ is this highly scientific nerd who is on this pre-prescribed path of academic success to become a doctor to please her mother. Um, she's still in school, but she's studying university-level chemistry. Um, but again, it's that whole thing of different types of smarts where, yeah, she's smart in books, but she is not smart in relationships mm-hmm. and she has a lot to learn. Her big brother asks her to tutor his um, best friend, the deadbeat drummer, Luke, mm-hmm. um, who's going to seriously flunk chemistry without her help. Um, and, of course, you know, as she spends more time with him, um, the stereotypes are broken down. She starts to see there's a lot more going on underneath the surface. And no surprises, it's a romance, you know, <laughs> but it has heart. And um, Kat Calm actually got into writing YA fiction because she was concerned at how unhealthy the relationships that were being portrayed in YA fiction were. She was a high school librarian. She was like, this is so bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she wanted to write a romance that started with a genuine friendship. And then she's included some heartwarming elements like Luke's relationship with his sister who has Down syndrome, mm. um, which is a really lovely part of the book. But I guess the reason I was keen to mention this book is that while there's a lot of science stuff, a lot of chemistry, and MJ is very concerned about those kind of academic smarts she wants to be a geneticist you know but she learns a lot from Luke about other kinds of smarts and you know how to be socially and relationally smart and what's really important in life so so is there a lot of science in it oh not heaps of science it's more about the scientific way of thinking so MJ approaches her relationships with that more scientific approach like why would I do that there's no good reason for it yeah exactly (laughs) Um, and, and she has to learn that relationships don't work that way. So, cool. I hope that you've enjoyed the first ever science edition of the Hope Book Club. May there be another one if I ever read a science book. Um, we've talked about Lost and Wanted by Nell Freudenberger. What If? Serious Scientific Answers to Absurd Hypothetical Questions by Randall Munro. And the YA novel Can't Beat the Chemistry by Kat. We would love to hear your thoughts and feedback. Email us, bookclub at hopemedia.com.au. And thanks for listening to The Hope Book Club, because life's just better with a book. Thanks for listening. Start your day with life words. Subscribe to Hope 1032's free daily email devotional at hope1032.com.au.